Welcome and happy Friday. It's May 5th, 2016, and we want to wish everybody a happy Mother's Day as well as a happy Derby Day. That The Derby is tomorrow, the Mother's Day is on Sunday, and yesterday was Cinco de Mayo, so it's just holiday palooza today. And to celebrate the Derby Day, we are enjoying some mint juleps made with uh, buffalo tree. We brought, that, brought back the cocktail of the week just for this week. So everybody, enjoy your mint julep and happy Derby Day. Cheers. Everybody. Happy Cheers. Derby Day. Cheers. So this is Travelog. It is the podcast of Condé Nast Traveler. And I'm here with David Jeffries, who's our service and surveys editor and an aficionado of today's subject, Mark Elwood, who's our contributing editor, and Linda Joyce, who is, well, we'll, we'll explain who you are in just a second, right. Linda. Mystery okay, special guest. Mystery guest. <laughs> special mystery guest. My name is Brad Rickman, and I am the digital director for Traveler. The topic of the week is the golden age of air travel. And so, Linda... You are our representative of this because you went through this period of time. So let's reveal you were a former flight. Well, I was a former Pan Am stewardess in the late 60s, early 70s. Fantastic. And um, it was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> so let me let me start by asking a question that we've been asking ourselves internally. I'm going to sort of throw this at you, David, because you're sort of the true detective of this. What was the golden age of, of air travel? I think it was just as you had started working. It was the huge change between propeller, piston aircraft that even crossing the country would have to stop two or three times, let alone going from London to Sydney, where it stopped eight or nine times if you didn't have a dust storm in Tehran or even Karachi. And it was the introduction of jet engines with the Comet, which yes. was um, not a great success. But then the 707, which... And the 707 came and went. Like, what was the, the Rubicon? Late 60s? 65, I think, yeah, was before, the first. Before, yeah, it was, yeah. Uh, it was, I can tell you, it was, it was London Heathrow to Sydney, November of 65. So 65, that sort of high 1960s moment. So, yeah, let's, yeah, this is an amazing... I actually got some details on that particular route. Going the other direction. Mm -hmm. Okay, so... 1965, the BA-720. That was the flight number. That was the flight number to Sydney. was operated by a Boeing 707. Yep, and it stopped in Zurich, Beirut, Karachi, Calcutta, Singapore, and Darwin. It took from, say, the afternoon on a Friday to, to Sunday morning. To Sunday morning. It was basically 23, 24 hours, which wasn't a huge difference to the de Havilland, uh, or the, um, I keep forgetting what it is, Hermes one of those British builds. But what it did do is it made a much smoother ride. Cabins were fully pressurized. More people could be on that flight. And as we were talking earlier, not only were these routes still vital to trade, tourism, government, all of that, but this made the experience so much nicer. So it's, it sounds like when the jet engines came in, it basically solved all the little things. The noise, that the vibration. Made flying the, yeah. inconvenient, uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So it smoothed it out and mm -hmm. suddenly made it a jet set. Yeah. And idea. it was five years for the 707 before the 747 came yes, in. Yes, yes. And you must be very familiar with the 747 because yeah, well, Pan Am was, was the yes, first. Yeah, it was the first to have the 747. But even with the 7, 707, um, I, we were flying New York Buenos Aires 12 hours nonstop, which was the longest flight that I had, uh, which was amazing. How was it configured? Were there beds? Was there a bar? Not what? on the 707s that I flew. 
there were beds possibly before in certain airlines, mm -hmm. but I never flew any with the beds. But first class was amazing. Yeah. In what way? But how was it? You know, was well, there a Well, first of all, there. Yes, up front there was a lounge. Mm -hmm. And it, swivel chairs. Yeah, and so you can come up after takeoff and you could sit around and talk with either the stewardesses or other passengers. And it was a place that we really kind of got to know a lot of the passengers who, who wanted to get Were come you out of expected, seat. a bit like a sort of a 30,000 foot geisha, were you expected <laughs> to. No, you mean like women of that age. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, we, we wouldn't have thought it any different. Uh, but. but I mean more, was part of your job description as much to socialize in that lounge as well, to, we were, you know, we didn't have to be told to socialize. Our job really was to make your flight the most comfortable and memorable as possible. So if you wanted to talk at 1, 2 in the morning and, hey, we weren't sleeping, so we mm. were happy to serve you an extra piece of cheesecake, bring you a cup of tea. Actually, my sister got to know Lindbergh that way because he used to be a part of Pan Am and he flew a lot. And she was all in, in that lounge with him for quite a while. You mean Charles Lindbergh? Yes, when Charles Lindbergh. I'm sorry, Lindbergh. Charles like Lindbergh. The, like the, the Lindbergh. The Lindbergh. And my sister sat there and told him, she said, I have a, I have a secret to tell you. And she says, I'm afraid of flight. <laughs> <laughs> He told her that? No, she told oh, her that. Oh, she told her. Oh, wow. I can't believe she revealed that. She was working. So you and your sister both worked for Pan Am. But I flew a year before her, and then I was originally based in Miami, but my dream since I was a little girl was to live in New York City. So they didn't have any openings when I graduated, so I waited until she was coming in, and she got New York. You got, you got placed originally at a spot where your languages mm -hmm. would, would coincide. So I was a language major, so I could speak Spanish and Italian, and I could read French, so if they gave it to me, I, I could do it. My sister <laughs> struggled through the language part brilliantly, but got based in New York because she said she spoke Italian. I mean, that's our heritage, so. And she did know enough. I mean, it's basically to read in different languages, but we had enough. The foreign girls were amazing, and I think that's what the biggest, I mean, for America at that stage, you know, you weren't used to seeing so many amazing foreign, and Pan Am hired African Americans. We had the first African American Which, pilot. It's a huge change for really? air travel. Oh um, my God! We, we had we had all, uh, all and and for yeah. me, I I I loved it. That's why I wanted to join Pan Am because I loved the diversity. And boy, it was diverse, but they were gorgeous. Those Swedish girls, those German girls. The African girls, whoever. Uh, and uh, my sister roomed with the, one of the first African-American girls. I don't know. Was they, she, she was very good friends with her. And it was ahead of its time in that way. First of all, how they treated women. Mm -hmm. We were treated with great respect, with And you dignity. were in the majority, so the male stewards were uh, Well, no, were rare. Rare. Yes, well, there were some male stewards. They were usually pursers. And then there was just before, when my sister came on, they, they didn't last very long, but there was the group of service reps that started at the bottom and were supposed to work their way up to management, obviously. But they went through my sister's training class, and there were six of them. Men. Men. The most handsome, amazing, qualified men. And Pan Am was putting them through the whole process so they could really lead later. And that's what Pan Am was great at doing. You know, first of all, everybody helped everybody else. I got in touch with one of the scheduling guys who used to 
put us on flights around the world. And they used to come over for spaghetti dinners all the time at our <laughs> apartment. And it was so nice to see him after all these years. And one of the things he said that touched me so much because I knew it was true. He said, if there was a problem and my shift was over, I didn't leave the next guy with the problem. I stayed until it was solved, mm -hmm. and he would do that for me too. And Pan Am worked that way as a family. People helped each other. It seems it just the underlying thing here is it seems that the golden age was defined by the social aspect of yeah. either being a passenger or being an employee. Yes. And you so rarely find that these but days. What were you? Or, I'm fascinated. I always hear because I always hear people say, you know, Pan Am was the Harvard of you know, to be a Pan Am stewardess, it was this sort of Ivy League job. But there were academic, I mean, you had to speak two languages, right? I mean, there were yeah, lots you, of constraints over well, and above you, being it, pretty and thin. Pretty was only the first level. <laughs> Day one. Pretty thin and Because you, you had about six, seven right. weeks of intensive yes, training to begin? Yes, you did. You did. Yeah. And they were looking, obviously, you had to be intelligent and speak another language at least. And the more languages you spoke, the better chance you had of getting in. But it was also that they were looking for that little extra magic quality, you know, that you had that little spark, that you had something extra to offer. And and it all depended on who interviewed you. But it was not easy. When, when I went for my interview, and for me it was life or death, I wanted to, <laughs> I just wanted to get out and get to New York and be on my own. And I had told um, how I did it because I wasn't used to working. We were not, my mother wouldn't allow us to have a job. So I never had an interview, you know. And yeah. I was teaching at the university, mm -hmm. Italian. But how old were you at the time? I was in my 20s. Okay. And the thing is that my professor loved me, so he hired me. You know, I didn't have to go through an interview. But for Pan Am, I did the smartest thing I ever did in my life. I signed up for American Airlines interview two weeks before. And mm. I did everything wrong. How long <laughs> oh, have you so wanted your, to? It was your dress rehearsal. And <laughs> I and I thank God I did it. I was smart enough to figure out everything I did wrong after I left. Mm. How long have you wanted to fly for American for three weeks? You know, and it's like. <laughs> <laughs> did you see it that way at the time? Like, was American because no. because of the perception of Pan Am was American like the B team? Oh, uh, did yes, you know that? Absolutely, yeah. we knew that. I I wasn't going to fly for American. First of all, they had a base in Tucson. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't want to go back there. <laughs> My parents would have made sure I stayed there. No, yeah. international, that was it. And I wanted, the reason I wanted to fly is I wanted the international. I love to travel. And My TWA was to... the only other yes, large but, but at the time, United wasn't. So this is, no. I think we should explain Continental something about this because this wasn't something, and you can explain this, David. The way that airlines are configured now that we get on a Delta plane in New York to go to Atlanta or a Delta plane in New York to go to Rome, it wasn't set up like that, was it? No, there were there were airlines has specialties almost. Yes, you and, think well, we were talking about Braniff, and and, you know. and and at the time, you know, one trip up until like the founder of yes, Pan Am. Yes, and of course, once he left, everything everything started to change. He was the most wonderful and daring person in the world, but he created a lot of enemies because of it, because he never took no for an answer. And that served Pan Am for years. Because and he started this all out in Miami. Yeah, Cuba with, route. With the Clipper, right, with yeah. the Miami Havana route, yeah. which is very pertinent. Yeah, yes. which is right now, now. Yeah. isn't it funny? Isn't half it? of the office seems to be Someone in Cuba. Someone should bring it. This is what Branson should do now, is bring back Pan Am. 
Yeah. Oh, no, they've tried. Someone no, does. But, someone does own the Pan Am name. But yeah. you know, you know what made Pan Am great? Reconnecting with Pan Am through World, World Wings has reset the, a lot of the things that in my brain. And the guy who was the poster captain for Pan Am that used to see that big cutout. Mm-hmm. We were talking one afternoon, and they were saying, "And guess who took his picture for that?" Scavulo. In those days, Scavulo was the number one photographer in the world. When Pan Am changed their outfits, the bolero mm-hmm. hats were made by the best Italian hat maker in Italy. I'm sorry, I'm pounding. <laughs> Everything was number one, the best. They never went to second or third. They went always to the best, no matter what it was, for this picture. Mm. Well, before we go too yes. much further, if we could just lay out for people what were the airlines that were sort of iconic from this era. David, what? Pan Am, TWA, BOAC before it became British Airways. Yes. Lufthansa was a fairly big player at the time. Asian carriers really not so much. Not so much. I mean, Japan Airlines maybe. And what was up with, obviously, the airline brands that we're very familiar with today, Delta, United, and American, did they exist? And if so, what were they? In different ways, because we also had Eastern. Yeah, Eastern was obscure, bigger than, of course. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah. Eastern from, Eastern, this, from they my almost, childhood. Actually, we almost joined with Eastern at yeah. one time. Oh, and uh, Northwest Pacific. Yeah. Uh, Northwest Orient, sorry. A lot of the um, airlines that were popular then, you know, uh, are not... You know, things they have merged changed. or just yeah, went away. Yeah, exactly. So it, we're, Pan Am, TWA were the were But, but the, the, the airlines, as I understand it, the airlines that we we now know, the familiar brands, mm. were largely domestic operators. That the yes, they didn't have the international we didn't have the competition from the golden age no. right. were all run out of business in the late 70s for lots of different reasons. Freddie Laker. And <laughs> so it was strangely the airlines we are stuck with are the airlines that never did the glamorous 24-hour flights historically. They were the ones serving the shuttles. Mm-hmm. And the Pan Ams of this world have sort of vanished into the ether. Well, they've migrated to the Middle East. What were the differences between, you know, BOAC, SAS, you know, Pan Am, TWA, that sort of stratospheric level? What, what were they known for? If each of them had a specialty, what would it be? Each one? Well, no, I, I, you I know, would well, seem it. Yeah. First, it was the routes, and it, obviously, yeah. service. Uh, I'm sure the service was good, particularly on on British Airways or what it was called before. I mean, they were their closest rival that I can remember. Yes, because their network was uh, yes. the empire. The, all and the pink and, bits. and so we never really the considered and, them even yeah. as rivals because you know they were comrades when you met airline people down the line. Yeah. You know, you were. But, but you you, also, you had the glamour. There was there's there's but, the but nobody glamour, spent but. the money. Pan Am. Pan Am had the money and they used it to right. be the best. And listen, even as a stewardess, we were picked up in limousines. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to get Wait, to the airport. What? Yeah, we had to get to the airport on our own. But after that, we were totally taken care in, of by in Pan Am. Top-notch hotels Top, when you were d- Dorchester abroad. in London. Yeah. I mean, come on. It, it, and you yeah. had longer layovers, so yes, yes, that, again, yes. there's a sense of community that you yes, would Yes, more than the other. We had yeah. three days in Buenos Aires. No, but but I but I I just I find it interesting when you talk about teeing up this job. What was an interview process like, and and what did they put you through? Did they weigh you at interview? Did they? Depending on the year where you were interviewed, you hear so many different stories. And I've talked to a lot of the girls, you know, you had to be a certain weight. So if you weren't a certain weight, you wouldn't have gotten and in. height. And height, yes. A certain weight, certain height. You had to be single. You had to so, like I have, I found, I found this in that same independent story from a Times classified ad for stewardess. This is it, Eastern, so not Pan Am. Yeah. So Pan Am may mm-hmm. have been different. You had to be a high school graduate, single, widows and divorcees with no children will be considered. 
20 years of age, girls 19 and a half may apply for future consideration. (laughs) You had to be 5'2", but no more than 5'9", and your weight had to be 105 to 135 in proportion to your height. Now, that's Eastern Pan Am was probably a little bit different. Well, first of all, you had to have two years of college to be with Pan Pan Am. Am. Yeah, yeah. And that is not part of this. No, Pan Am required... More so, but you could have two years, not a full graduate. But the rest is about the same in in many ways. I mean, except that I think that they were more picky. When I interviewed for Pan Am, there was 250 girls who interviewed, and they only chose two, and I happened to be one of them. Wow! Only because I went for that American Airlines. It interview. is like Harvard. That's yeah. the, I mean, like that's an acceptance rate. And, yes. and, and, and as you said, I, when they asked me at Pan Am, how long have you wanted to fly for Pan Am? I said, since I was a little girl. Oh, <laughs> the correct answer. I, I have, learned, there. I have yes. dreamed about being a Pan Am stewardess. So and then what, I learned what, my lesson. what was job security like once there? Because as we now know in this day and age, it's... it's it was very good. It but was good. but so you, you had to be up to standard, for example. So you got a review you, you, every year. You didn't necessarily get through training. I almost didn't make it through training. One girl got let go because she wouldn't go down the, the emergency slide. She was afraid. I mean, yeah, you had to you had to be up to standards. And if you got bad reviews, I'm sure you'd be out. But the thing is, if you did your job and, and you were good, you could stay there until your age. Right. Because as we've seen with most U.S. carriers, at least, the um, cabin crew are aren't getting younger. Oh, no. It's amazing. And, but then you fly. I flew uh, Asiana, I think it's called, to Korea, and up in business class. And it must have been an army of 20, 20-year-old 20 women. I, I, it was astonishing. You see, I'm going to get in a lot of trouble for saying this, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having certain requirements for certain jobs. I mean, if I wasn't fit for a certain job because it would be better to look a certain way or be a certain way, I don't have any problem with it. But... I In- Internet, send your complaints to Linda at <laughs> travelandleisure.com. <laughs> no, but I understand. I do understand the weight requirement, for example, yes. because if, you're, you if, you're, if, you're, if you're if you're performing the safety maneuvers, which is what you're doing, essentially you need not the weight requirement to be thin, but I recognize that there have to be physical constraints on yes. being cabin crew. Well, and the height, the height is the one that still applies today because you have to fit into the. You know, you can't. <laughs> and be I don't think that's necessarily chamber. discrimination. I think that's reflecting that it's a job that. In it, at its nubbin is a is a safety job, and you have to be able to pull those safety doors off and not block an aisle. Obviously, in the in the golden age, it was, and also you need to be twenty pounds thinner than that. Right, right, right. But right. they would never, you know, they they did make you watch. See, everybody who joined gained weight the first three months because the food was so fabulous on the plane. After, oh, we got to talk about the food. So keep going. Uh, okay, so after three months, you got tired of eating everything, so it was less and you could lose some of that weight. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I mean, they had caviar up there. They mm-hmm. had, they had, and every port that you, you flew into, they would bring on special appetizers from that area. So if we were flying South America, you'd get the little taquitos and you'd get this. And if you were flying to Germany or this, whatever was the local, the little sandwiches from Denmark. And I mean, it was amazing. And the food was, I mean, we had the best cheesecake from New York. I mean, it was brought in from the Bronx. From Juniors? I don't know where it came from, but I know that it was was as good as Lindy's. Uh, And it was only... um, pineapple cheesecake but they had it and if nobody ate it we weren't allowed to take food off but it went off in those carriers <laughs> uh, and where did you keep it on uh, what was the storage like in those days well they had 
it doesn't look that different, but they the had galleys, yeah. the galleys, the things the, pulled those out. Those trolleys, and you which had... weigh a ton. Yes. And people don't yes. realize when you're at cruising altitude, the nose of the plane is six or seven feet higher than the tail in order oh, for, right, the, for right, the, right. the lift. Really? Um, and so pushing that up the aisle. Oh, yeah. It's well, it was scary. never. No, listen, forget pushing the cart up the aisle. Well, they had these silver coffee and tea urns. I'm talking like to they were this big. Like no, no, no. They weighed like 50 pounds a piece yeah. without coffee yeah, in yeah, them yeah, or tea. Yeah, yeah. And you had to carry one in each time tea and coffee. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I'm not sure I could lift one today. Mm-hmm. It's like, and if it was full, I mean, it was, you had to work out to, to be able to do that. Was that part of the test to get the job? Did they give you a strength <laughs> right. test? They didn't warn us until the they asked us to go up and down the aisle. And did you get a mix of cabins to work in? Oh, yes. Did you find that? Yes. I mean, you weren't exclusively working in. It was Not only everybody first and, wanted to work coach. first class um, because in some way it was longer. It was, it so was longer. more intense. Yeah. It was long, the work was a little harder back there, but you were over with it faster because it was a, a simple service and, and the first class service went on forever because it would start with caviar, cheese, and there was so many courses and... Oh, wow. And different wines. What and was the this. gender? What was the gender breakdown of the passengers? Because I always perceive in the golden age an awful lot of clones of yeah, Don Draper just filling the rows. There were a lot of men. Was it who overwhelmingly male? Yes. Yeah. They were they? busy, particularly flying. Well, listen, I we, I only flew abroad, so it's not like domestic flights. We didn't have any. So particularly the the flight from New York to Frankfurt. I mean, that was the real business route. But you got businessmen who were they were. One guy was flying down to Buenos Aires. I, I'll never forget to open a donut factory. They didn't have any donuts in Buenos Aires, <laughs> in Argentina. And I remember talking to him, and he said, yes, he's going to go down there and open a donut Brought factory. Brought diabetes. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Mr. Krispy Kreme. Yes, uh, you could have stopped him. Yeah, I, <laughs> you could, I would you say there's so many other things than donuts. But, um, but, yeah, they were oil people. They were businessmen. They were charming. They... Listen, as a Pan Am stewardess, I hate to brag, but you never had to worry about a dinner date. And when you arrived, when you arrived, you had a group of these rich, lazy men (laughs) who would wait in the lobby for you and invite you out. We called them lounge lizards. (laughs) (laughs) So the the movies are true. This is all real. When you arrived at the Rome Cavalieri or one of the, you know, Yes. Hotel on the Via Veneto for three yeah. days of hard work. Um, how did you pack? Because you no. had your uniform. Yes, we had our uniform, and then and, and we we just we didn't pack much. You packed one or two things to run around in, either for shopping or for dinner. But it was small. It was limited. It was limited. You had a small little suitcase. Yeah, 65 to 70 was a very chic yeah. yes. five but you years. But was it a standard issue suitcase where you essentially yes, told, stand- here it, is... It had to be a certain size. And we had a, a, a little bag, too. Toiletries and things. Yeah. That they uh, they gave you, which which carried other stuff. And, and a lot of girls who flew a long time really had gotten it down to a science. You know, you had to kind of learn that in the beginning because you want to take everything. And then you realized you don't really need everything. It's a lot of time to get there and you want to sleep. <laughs> yes. <no. laughs> so I'm going to ask the question that everyone wants to ask because we just perceive it as a sort of sexual, free-loving... Yes. Raunchy, it was the late 60s and early late, 70s, right? It's the perfect combination. Mm, yeah. It's free love of the late 60s yeah. and there's one of the sexiest environments. So was it how we perceive the sense that... No, not 100%, but yeah, I think it was yes and no, because that was happening and it wasn't happening. Because in the 60s or late 60s or however you want to call it, or even in the 70s, you really could divide people between the flower children Mm -hmm. 
and the respectable girl. Okay? <laughs> so you either were a free lover and you slept with everybody, it didn't matter, or you were still respectable and struggled with the whole concept, even though, of course, it was more enticing because it was more acceptable, but it still wasn't really. There were some girls, they wouldn't have slept with you no matter what, and some girls, hey, slept with everybody. So... But how did you perceive, if there were colleagues who knew you knew were good time girls, yeah. were they looked down upon? Not really. If they did a good job and the mm-hmm. and, and they helped you. Yeah. That's my point. We there didn't, was, we didn't judge them. There we wasn't just a listen, small Listen, but no, way. there wasn't. But, you know, when we went to like Panama and these Caribbean places, unfortunately, one Pan Am Stewart brought back a islander to Miami. <laughs> As a souvenir, yes. <laughs> and and because How? did not fit in the carry on, exactly. I'm assuming yeah. <laughs> she she imported him somehow and got him. You know, you could bring anything on those planes. I didn't really put people about, but we could have taken this table and put it inside the Pan Am. What? Oh yeah, you could. How? That's the thing. That, talk about the differences between yesterday and today. And then I'll get back to the guy in the in the heaven. But no, you could. We could go shopping. We could buy statues like this and just put a tag on them. And bring and put them in. And Where bring would them. you put them? Oh, they put them in the belly, or they put them in the closet. Really? Yeah, that's amazing. You could bring anything you wanted, practically. Wow. You know, and there was and no. And so sometimes what you wanted <laughs> yes. was a local <laughs> man. Well, bring back something well, the, local. The, the problem with that, with what this woman did, is she ruined it for the rest of us. <laughs> No, because nobody it, it ever had, got to bring back a boy toy. No, again. no, 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 no. It was to me. It was worse than that because whenever I flew into Panama City, because that's where it happened, every waiter there wanted to be uh, your lover, uh, and they would linger in your room and you ordered room service, or they would. Oh, this is not a problem that a lot of gentlemen would have had uh, taken issue I with. I know, but I certainly, because I, I would not have chosen, uh, if I was going to have an affair, it wasn't going to be with him. So, uh-huh. um, but yes, yeah, so they were like, because they wanted to have that, they wanted to escape, so. Mm-hmm. But I've heard, I've heard a lot of stories of golden age stewardesses, as they would have been then, not flight attendants. I mean, you would have been called a stewardess, right? Yes, a stewardess, it absolutely. Was, that was the, the, no, the there was no flight franca. attendant, it was stewardess. So many of them marrying passengers. Did lots of your yes. friends... Or pilots. Yes. Or pi- yes, or pilots, but sort of work... Le- it yes. was a sort of marriage mm-hmm. brokering as much yeah. as a career. Let me tell you something. One of the first flights I flew, there was this gorgeous Swedish girl. She was blue-eyed. She was marrying a U.S. senator. Wow. She, it was her last flight. Met him on the plane? Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I mean, I was pursued by a Latin who was building buildings all over South America and flew my family down for a week vacation in one of his places. And he was really charming, and he he would take me to, of course, he knew the owner of every restaurant he took me to, and they were these wheeler dealers. And and to be with a Pan Am stewardess was like being with a celebrity. Because they didn't, it wasn't as... as, um, I think that also defines this golden age. Concept that the stewardesses, the, the, cele- stewardesses. the people who work for the airline, because the, cap- the pilots were because too. As you right? mentioned before we started this, let me tell you, those captains and they still are. I see them when I when I, I can't believe it. It brings me back to the old days. But the captains and the pilots, some of the handsomest, smartest, mm-hmm. the nicest men I have ever met in my life, and they were gentlemen unless you didn't want them to be. 
<laughs> but but I, I, and, and that's what I found with most of the passengers, too. I mean, yes, there were some slobs, but usually you weren't going to go out with those guys. But the people who, they respected you unless you gave them the signal that you didn't want that. And, and generally, was that accepted? Like, if yes. you did that, people respected it? Yes, even it. The, the real playboys in, in San Salvador and Panama City and all these people, they hung around. But they didn't attack you. They didn't. They were happy to take you out uh-huh. and that spend time with you. They would love to have an affair with you, but if you weren't interested, they weren't going to be— They weren't, they weren't going to force they were themselves onto No, they were not It was gentlemen. a genteel environment, more or less. Yes, it was. I think it's interesting, David, talking about how the celebrity part, I perceive— when you walked through an airport terminal, especially as a Pan Am crew, both the pilot and the stewardess, that the passengers sort of parted like the yeah. parting yes. of the Red Sea. Yes, because you would also, from, I recall from childhood, the crew would almost always turn up together. Somehow. In, in a wonderful like a little army. Like a, yes. sort of like, yeah. And that's where, where the waves well, would part. But now, you you know, they sort of dribble in yeah. one it, and it, one it, the other. You did make... An impression. An impression. Mm-hmm. And... But one of the most amazing things, which you can't even imagine today, is that let's say once I passed my three months or whatever, if I decided I wanted to fly to Paris tomorrow and I didn't have a ticket, just show up, tell, show them your Pan Am ID, come on, sit in the front, get uh, in the back, wow. we have a seat in first class. Right. You know, I, I mean, you could go anywhere. You could go to find out if there was a, a, a cargo plane, anything. You Pan Am, they'll, they'll take you. But it was also you also acted as as, as sort of emissaries for America. Totally, totally. You know. Particularly in those countries where we still didn't have embassies and stuff. But Pan Am was the American ambassador all around the world, and they handled it with great respect, and did, I think, an amazing job. They had so much dignity, and they treated you with so much. You know, on holidays when you had to fly, sometimes they did special things, and they set out a Christmas buffet for you at a special hotel. They showed you that they appreciated you, and they and they appreciated your service, and they treated you so well that you wanted to give back to them. You wanted to do the best job you could, except there's always a few. Yeah. So can we spend just a minute on the food? Oh, yeah. Because, David, I think <laughs> you did hungry. You did a little research on this, and I saw the same thing that you did, where I think it was even this week, maybe, a bunch of photos It was today. Uh, it was Scandinavian uh, Airlines. Scandinavian uh, Airlines. released show. a whole bunch of uh, fantastic photos from the 60s and 70s of what they served. And one of the um, things that that is a truth that I made peace with, a, sort of, or absorbed and figured out with this is that the flights were longer. There were many uh, many mm-hmm. stops along the way. So if you think about that Sydney to London route, yeah, there are just a lot of meals that yes. people are going to eat, yeah. and each meal in those days was well. Linda, you're the best person to speak to this. Like what? Oh my God! I told you. We all gained weight. It was incredible. Even uh, economy. They, the food was amazing. It was, was it called economy? Yes. Uh, and there were ju- it was just first an economy for yeah. a long time. Yeah, no, that Business was, was, it. A, was a, I think, a BA concept in the early I, 70s. I didn't but, know but, if it was but called first economy. class had, yeah. had, had many different, um, like I said, caviar was common. And if nobody ate it, you could sit there and <laughs> <laughs> eat it the up. Other, the other important component here is that in-flight entertainment 
really was non-existent. It was the there was, there was no music. Well, <laughs> yes. I'm saying the food. <laughs> if you were on a long <laughs> flight, they were, they food were, and booze that's it. were the that two was things it. And the to booze yourself flowed. With. The booze flowed. So um, and, ask, and do you remember that you would always hand out postcards? Yes, and yes. All, all my postcards yes. from the first 747 oh, I was on. I forgot about because that. Because you'd write people. I, yeah. I'd write and my parents and say, I'm sitting in this seat and I just ate this. And Those SAS photos, you know, they've got like a whole prosciutto that they're walking around. We should, put a, we should put a link to this. We'll put a link yeah, to we'll this. Put a link to this. Yeah. Also, the, even breakfast, we had to cook fried eggs in an oven. We had to mm-hmm. scramble. I mean, we had to. Wow. Yeah, really? Yes. Yes. Amazing. Yes. So you had everything to order, and, and it was it was like you were at a restaurant. And I just sometimes wondered how we did it in those little ovens. But they had fabulous fish. Everything was the best quality. Fabulous fish, steaks, roast beef, carts. Um they had um, wherever we were flying. If there was special food, that's what I liked because when mm. you went to all these different countries, you know, you would have their specialty. But let me ask you: I, one um, golden age uh, stewardess that I spoke to said there was a period when, in the late sixties, when the U.S. government mandated for the domestic airlines, at least, that you could only serve two drinks on a flight, no matter its length. Not Pan Am, it's international. And <laughs> so, so the the martini glasses. Changed in size uh. and became pint-sized martini oh glasses. So the drinks that they served, and she said we were suddenly That's mixing. That's hysterical. That's I hysterical. really admire the ingenuity in that. So she I said, re- and it was two drinks, but it was a bottle of vodka in two glasses. But you didn't ever have that constraint. It was very no, free flowing. It was international. So look, so look, so look. Celebrity. It's social. It's food. It's it's not people sitting with their iPods or their and they their can't dress to the seventeen nines. movies. Yeah. They yeah. were dressed to the nines. They had the pearls. They had the you know, jewelry on. I think that's what made it they, And they talked to each other, and you made friends. I, I actually have the menu on that Sydney to London. I, I found this online. Sydney to Perth lunch: seafood cocktail, grilled lamb cutlets, buttered Brussels sprouts. Macar potatoes, fruit cream sponge, cheese, cream crackers, and coffee. From Perth to Singapore, afternoon tea, a coupe Florida, a cold roast breast of turkey, glazed ox tongue, and mixed salad, French pastry, and glazed coffee. Ox tongue. Singapore to Colombo. And right. by the way, this is the third leg of like a six leg trip. Each one of them being about five hours. Yes, long. about five hours. Yeah, so across country. This is kind of amazing. Shrimp cocktail, beef saute, stroganoff, minted garden peas, parsley potatoes, fruit salad and cream, cheese and biscuits, coffee. It goes on and on like this. Every single leg has a meal like this. And we usually had a dessert uh, trolley. Yeah, 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 that you could pick from. Now there was more space in the yes. aisles, right? Yes. Like it's not like it wasn't like today where no, you can barely no, oh, squeeze no, no. a little. You can barely sit. You can barely squeeze. Yeah. No, there was much more space, and um, and so those carts had room on each side that you could sneak through. But yeah, even the cheese, the the cheese trays, that cheese came from France. Mm. You know, it was flown in. It was it, real stuff. It, it was, was really yeah. good. It wasn't yeah. from Wisconsin. No, I'm from. No, there's anything yes, wrong with yes, Wisconsin. Yes. Wisconsin cheese is just no, fine. No, but it, but France was noted for its exceptionally fine cheese, and and that's where it came from. And because they were international, the food came in from all over the world. Was there any impact with um the launch of Concord? Oh, I mean, well, that, 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 that is a piece of the end of Pan Am because right. um, one tr- trip screwed Kennedy. and Because bought. Pan Am was going to have a Concorde fleet. Yeah. And, and they, they didn't do and it. They, but you see, 
he was amazing because he, ne- like I said, he never took no. And if he wanted something, he went for it. And Boeing, half of the time of the things he asked for, they said, well, you can't do it. And mm. he said, do it. And they did it. Yeah, add more windows on the upper deck. That's Remember, right. Sort of, so a three sort of with like, a spiral yeah, staircase. Yeah, he he knew what he wanted. He had a vision, and he didn't accept no. But he created enemies along the way that hurt him later on and caused a lot of problems for Penn. But it's interesting to hear you hear you cite him so much. So you think that the oh. magic of Pan Am, because when we when we're trying to break him. down the it, Because he age. was the first. Have you ever seen the f- lists of firsts for Pan Am? There's like 98 firsts. Whether it has to do with... The, the, the sea boats the, uh, the, the very safety first place. Th- every, yeah. everything, everything that was created was created by Pan but Am that, practically. But that's also, I think that's also an interesting difference. And, and when Brad was saying what we need Branson to do is revive the Miami-Cuba route, you can see a total parallel with this sort of charismatic figure head of Richard Branson, Mm -hmm. who obviously is is operating a very different business. But it's interesting to think about part of this golden age of travel being around a sort of debonair, charismatic CEO. And a company that also practically copyrighted a color. Yeah. There's no other color that's pan and blue. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Virgin does it to some extent, both transatlantic and. And you know, and if America, you do the 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 whatever, they're the, the closest the research on to it, it yeah. that we've that we've had, uh, you know, in the in yeah. the recent times. But you know, I, I I met the woman who flew with the 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 Beatles. I mean, every celebrity. Yeah, come every, on, tell us what celebrities you served. Come on, Linda, you must oh, have had no, some no. famous people. No, it's not so much that the famous people, but they were always flying. I had the 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 CEO of TWA. What was he doing flying first class on Pan Am? But <laughs> because it was better. Because yeah. it was yeah. <laughs> Did he fly better. in a mask and like a hood? <laughs> or did he? Was he identified? There were no cell phones. You could never do that today. <laughs> no. There were no cell phones back then. You couldn't. No, somebody would have taken an Instagram really. and it would have been all but, over. But everything. the other thing that I'm always curious about, I remember talking to an- another flight attendant who worked in, uh, earlier than you worked in the yes. late 50s, mm-hmm. and she was an, an everyday middle class white girl from suburban Chicago, who was pretty, but she had a gap in her teeth, so she couldn't model, and she thought. I'll become a flight attendant. And she then spent, she still worked for 50 years. She then spent the early 60s ricocheting around the world, going to Japan to see the cherry blossom, going to Cairo to have the director of the Cairo Museum take her around because she was a stewardess. And it was, while I think we look at people of her era as very oppressed and sort of sexistly marginalised, I think she was kind of a feminist in her own way. It was a very empowering, all emancipating women, job. All of those women who flew for Pan Am or, or even some of the other airlines at that time, for sure, because we couldn't do that in other jobs. Really, my choice, I was teaching languages at the University of Arizona. My choice was to continue teaching, become a secretary, or I wasn't interested in nursing. So, I mean... Teachers, it was really limited. I didn't want any of that. The cell phone fact's interesting as well because if you're an early 20s something flight attendant traveling the world, you do land up in Tehran. Oh, we went to Tehran. We went to. And you're you're responsible for your own safety, so you must have grown up quite quickly to fit that environment. Well, Well, the thing is, I was always very independent woman, even if they didn't allow me to be. <laughs> that, that being mom and dad? Yes. I okay. tried not to allow me to be. But what Pan Am gave you, forget, yes, it made you independent. First of all, you could be on your own. You could be, I could live in New York. I shared an apartment with my sister. But we traveled the world. Do you know what that means to your 
confidence, your persona, your, and you had to do it with great manners and great dignity. I think my man, my parents taught me the manners, but Pan Am did too. They had high standards on how what makeup you had to wear a certain color. Length of your hair, lipstick, the length Couldn't of touch your hair, your shoulders. Yep. It had to be actually to your oh, jaw. Sure. When I, they got a little bit long. When they did the Pan Am series, they said, "What is all this long hair? We are, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, you yeah. know." Yeah. yeah, but you flew the world. You talked to the top people. People only flew then who were really upper class, even in the economy. You know, it's mm. like. So but this is what yeah. I mean about this is what I think is interesting. While I think in some ways it was incredibly sexist, because, because of course you were picked for. Were you pretty? Did yes. you look good in a miniskirt? Those kind of things. But if you set that aside. I'm always fascinated to hear sort of pioneering stewardesses talk they about the access they got and the independence yes, they had. That was really it for Which... me and for most of the girls. And in just the fact that you had choices. You gotta mm. remember we didn't have choices. So Pan Am gave you choices. And you know my roommate, one of my roommates, she went on to become an executive at Pan Am. She went on to American Express when they closed. If you wanted to move up the ladder, they allowed you to. And so here was the chance that you didn't have in other places. Pan Am respected you as an intelligent human being, whether you were a woman, yes, whether you were African American. Nursing, yeah, secretary, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or teacher. Mother. Yeah, that's right. Yes. You were that's working. Married mother. What, what brought yeah. this era to a close? People like Freddie Laker and airlines. Who's, who's, who's Freddie Laker? Laker? Yeah, I don't know. Freddie Laker was a, a, a sort of an early Richard Branson who started an airline from London to New York for $99 cash on board. I was just going to say it's the in a, cheap in a, like, the bus. like the bus. It's, it's, they call, it they, was Megabus. It was Megabus in the air right. for the first time. So when you time. make it mainstream. So you had that, then you had deregulation in 1978. I think I'm correct on that one. Mark would know. And... More and more people were flying. Yes. So it was no longer exclusive. It's no longer exclusive. That with, with the 747s and the large MD-11s, you could pack hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people in. On the but, first comets, there were 39 seats. But I would say, I think deregulation is interesting because uh, I've talked on this podcast before about how when the CEOs of most of the U.S. airlines were summoned before Congress and the Senate to discuss deregulation, they mm -hmm. used language that I don't want to use in front of Congress. And essentially explained that before... We do mark the podcast explicitly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, I just, you know, my mother would kill me if I saw her on, on air. But what changed was when it was deregulated, the point of difference became what are you paying for your flight? Oh, People before Express is the other that, one I was thinking of. People yes, Express exactly. was a huge success but here. And it made the... East Coast to West Coast run affordable to college kids like myself. Yeah, of course. Who would sleep on the floor at Newark Airport, you know, hours. No, but, but I think Mark's but making an important point, point, right? Like, before, yeah. what was what the competitive was, advantage? Yeah. Bef before deregulation, the point of difference was what are you offering as an onboard experience? How are your stewardesses? What are your lounges like? Uh, how comfortable are your seats? How good after is the food? food like, yeah. After deregulation, after the as the golden age ebbed away, we are very used to the point of differentiation, which is how much does it cost? Yeah, That's right. It. Because before differentiation, the government set the price, mm -hmm. so you used your money how you wished. So I think that's a sort of really crucial that sort of twilight and that and pivot. The beginning of package holidays, where people would you know fly who would no, never normally have flown in their lives would suddenly be going. Well, from the UK, what did they'd you be call going that? to package holidays, and it's a very English oh, phrase. Oh, package holidays. You know, you get the hotel and the air combined, yeah, yeah, and you're yeah, on a yeah. charter airline, oh, and you're. Okay. It, it, they don't really exist in, in this the country US. as yeah. much. In Europe, they're a big. They were a big. I think they're a big factor in Europe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Um, and so, David, then you said one other thing that I think is interesting as we kind of wind down here. It seems as though some of these aspects are being revived mm-hmm. today. And, and say a little bit about that. Well, if you want to fly between Los Angeles and Dubai on Emirates in first class, it's $32,840 round trip. <laughs> and people pay that. And we're right back to Mark's point of they are getting a three-bedroom suite with a butler. Mm-hmm. So they are wow. getting, and they're getting, you know, uh, Rolls-Royce limited edition limousine transfers. They're getting, there's a return to something. Even JetBlue with Mint. But this goes back to the to deregulation nicer. point, right? Because again, like the, 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 the way you compete in the marketplace is different for those airlines. But I would also say what I think is interesting is if you're paying $32,000 for a commercial first class flight, you're not that far away from flying Private, yeah. Mm-hmm. But essentially, what that sells you is what Pan Am once sold you, which was being part of a community of like-minded people at a glamorous thirty thousand feet level. So it's interesting that exactly as David says that that golden age of travel is being clawed back a little by some of these Middle Eastern airlines, which ha- who have less and Asian airlines, yeah, less financial pressures. You can debate why and how. But people who Otherwise known as government exactly, but <laughs> yeah. I mean you know who are funded differently, and there's so many con, you know controversial things about that. But the the fact that if you can pay thirty two thousand dollars for a one seat, you can afford private, but yeah. you're choosing to fly with the glamour yeah. of that. I mean, yeah. Emirates is has kind of I don't know that you would compare it to Pan Am, but Emirates is the leader of this at the moment, right? And it's sure. fascinating airline because from my experience. The majority of passengers flying, for instance, from L.A. or New York to Dubai are not going to Dubai. Right. They're going on to yeah. Delhi and yeah. Bombay and yeah. Tokyo and the Maldives. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they become It's a weird mix of like Wow hub. Air and like what Pan Am used to do, right? Yeah. Like like push them through the, the hub yeah. airport and maybe people stay and they do whatever. But, but you don't we, really care that much. When we talk about heritage, I'm curious, Linda, I'd like to ask you one other thing. Um, I was on a Delta flight from... London to New York, and which you enjoyed, uh, uh, which was lovely. On a confluence, which on a confluence of factors, the entire cabin crew were more senior cabin crew because there'd been a, a reconfiguration, and the four women with whom I interacted were all former Pan Am. Really, really, staffers. yeah, a lot of them. Yeah, and they went to Delta. Yes, they because went to Delta. Delta absorbed Pan Am mm, in yeah. Pan Am's sort of yeah. emulation. One of them said, oh, well, you know, I was lucky because I speak Italian and Japanese, so that kept me mm. prestigious because that's a weird right. use. So, can you tell a former Pan Amer? Like, you know, is there a sort of metaphorical a tattoo radar. or a radar that you yes can Yes and no, on? but it's funny because... Uh, I told you I joined World Wings, which is the Pan Am stewardess organization, and I'm a special events person, and I, I put together an event for the girls, and we... Um, uh, we went to Radio City Music Hall uh, to have that tour, and then we went to lunch and, and just to get them. But the guy stopped. Well, I don't, can't tell you how many times he said, "You are oh, who are you girls? You're all so well-dressed, mm-hmm. and you're all so elegant. And so that's the distinguishing quality. You don't lose that no well, matter. Well, that, that leads to the most critical question of this entire podcast, which is do you still have a uniform? Uh, like a wedding dress. <laughs> yes, well, my sister does, but I had a fire in my apartment like 15 years ago, and unfortunately it was in the room that burned, 
And that actually, that's the only it. thing that I really missed that burned because I was going to clean out everything anyway, and it, the fire helped me do that. But I missed that. And you were allowed to keep the uniform? Not the first one, which I should have just said I lost it and paid the price. <laughs> I, I was too honest in those days. I would have definitely done it. But yes, but when it went from the straight skirts... To a pleated, and, wasn't it? No, then or it went to an A-line an a a line and then pleated, with yeah. a bolero hat and, and right. boots and... Um, so scarf. They you had to turn in the other uniform, but that was my favorite uniform. My sister has her. And when you talk about World Wings, that's WorldWingsInternational.net. Yes, yes. And if there's any Pan Amsters out there that would like to join, we're happy to have you. So WorldWings.com. Yeah. Yeah. WorldWingsInternational.net. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it is. WorldWingsInternational.net. World Wings in- Thank you, darling. <laughs> there you go. So that'll do it for us today. Linda, thank you so oh, much. You're it was welcome. great I to have you. This is such a it was it's amazing to have somebody who was actually there. <laughs> David, Mark, thank you guys both for coming. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. You can do on iTunes. Um, we are also on SoundCloud. And visit us at cntraveler.com. We are also at Condé Nast Traveler on Facebook and YouTube. And at CN Traveler on Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat. Don't forget, we are coming down to the last six weeks of our RCA survey. So go online. It's cntraveler.com slash vote. If you are a traveler, if you're out there in the world, if you've been to a hotel, a resort. You've tell us where to, the golden age of flying is. Tell us tell us what your great experiences have been. Um, our survey is continuing. Oh, we're okay. kind of in the middle of it right now. We're getting a lot of input from people, and it's really great. And you have a chance to appear on the website because uh, if you leave a comment for us, those are eventually going to show up on the website. We are building that now. So come and uh, cntraveler.com slash vote. And why don't we go around and tell people where they can find you. David, where where can the world find you? Are you are you social media-ified? Or is that not your no. thing? Okay. David. You can find David whenever you fill out the, the survey. Please fill out the RCA survey and David will see Mention that. David and he will see <laughs> your words. And That's he, what I do. Yes. <laughs> and I'm, I'm Mark J. Elwood on Twitter, which is Elwood with two L's and Mark with a K. Linda, anything other yes, than Yes, yes. Uh, LindaJoyce.com. And I'm also writing a book on the Golden Age travel wow. with my sister called First Class. Amazing. The Golden That's great. Age. Yeah. When it so, comes out, you have to come on I again and talk to about do that. it again. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we want a reunion of all of you. We want the, the, yes, we want the world you have to wins. bring some people. That would be so great. Oh, they would love to. Some There's people some, from the club. Oh, it's amazing. There's some wonderful girls that are that are there. They're still. They've done such amazing things in the world. The Panam Sturgis didn't stomp at Panam, I'm telling you. They went on. Yeah. Even though you lost the building in Kennedy. I know. The but that, believe me, that building. was the hardest thing to see go. And, yeah, know. That uh, was so ahead of its time. I mean, that oh and the TMTWA were Well, that's again. Iconic. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it was. Yeah. Okay, right. I am at Bradrick, and that is it. Have a great weekend, everybody. Happy Derby Day, and happy Mother's Day. Yeah.